Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two clones. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, um, unnamed trading firms who are very involved. Um, Alec.eth is the ultimate possible. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. We're doing a special late night episode. It is midnight here and we're all very tired, uh, but we didn't have an episode for the chopping block this week. And so we thought we would record something for you. First up, we've got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. Next, we've got Robert, crypto connoisseur and captain of Compound. And we've got Tarun, the Gigabrain and Grand Poobah at Gauntlet. And you've got myself, I'm Asib. I'm the head hype man at Dragonfly. So we are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see chopping block that XYZ, more disclosures. So we're coming at you late at night. How are you guys doing on this uh, very late, very well, uh, I'm a long time listener, first time caller, just really excited to be here and chop it up. I just hope Tarun gets his pizza. I'm worried about him and his stomach. <laughs> That's kind of my bigger. I, uh, I, I did, I did dye my hair at least one of the colors that won the poll. So which color won the poll? Well, first of all, I, it, half of my head was shaved. That's true. There was met, one that shaved it off. There was one that shaved it off one. And so I think glad orange or green one. I forget which one. So I, I had both. So it's a strong choice. It's very nice. It's max cypherpunk right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that you're deferring to the chopping block Dow. Unlike arbitrary, <laughs> you've learned you've learned a lesson about on-chain governance, which is very good to see. I don't want Gary coming after me. I know <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, so okay, so this week, the news this week is all about regulation and legal stuff and Congress and people yelling at other people for being securities. Honestly, it's all kind of boring. And we were talking about like, hey, do we have to do another episode about more kind of legal naysaying? Like, there's nothing that important that happened this week. And so, and we're also pretty tired. Um, it's just been a, a pretty grueling week as well. And so we thought maybe we'll shake it up today and try a little bit of a variation in format. So instead of just rattling off the news and giving you vague opinions about them, uh, we decided instead we're going to try something different. So Tom, what's on, what's on the menu tonight? So this is actually inspired by a tweet by Phil Dobby, uh, who is our, our data scientist here at Dragonfly, where he had a uh, nice little dune chart, but with some of the key information such as the title scrubbed out and guess people just guess what the chart was and so we're going to play a little guess that chart right now um so apologies to any audio listeners we'll try to get some nice uh descriptions of, of what the chart depicts so are you guys ready do you guys know what geo guesser is I've been following yeah of course, oh, of course. Yeah, 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 this, yeah, yeah we're basically this is this is the on-chain geo guesser a little bit for anyone listening tom has the charts Haseeb, Tarun, and I do not know what chart he's about to put on the screen. I don't know what chart I'm about to put on the screen, Um, but here we go. (laughs) All right. Um, Let me see if I can describe this chart. So the chart... uh, Oh, this is transaction fees per chain. You're so confident. 
Okay, so the, the chart. Okay, so the chart is. Um, it starts in January 2020, and it like shoots up, basically up through July 2021, and then it comes down quite a bit in in January 2022. Comes down again in the summer, and then like kind of hits a local bottom around beginning of 2023, and then starts going back up again. The biggest contributor is Ethereum by far. Then there's BNB Chain, then Polygon, then Arbitrum, and Avalanche, Gnosis, Optimism, and there's like tiny, tiny little contributions from everything that's not Ethereum. Right. And the key thing here is that, okay, so I I read too quickly. I, I was trying to do GeoGuessr style. Um, I am not rainbow. <laughs> it's in black and white and it's yeah. pixelated. So you might not be able to. So the Y-axis, it goes up to 1B and halfway up there, it's 500M. So we're going with like 1 billion, 500 million. All the different chains are shown, but Ethereum is like 99% of this chart. And there's like a little bit of activity from like, Whatever BNB and Polygon, BNB yeah. and Polygon, but it's basically a chart of Ethereum. Yeah, from the last three. So basically, years. okay, something that daily maxes out at a billion, and now yeah. is somewhere around two fifty million. Could it also be stablecoin volume? I think it's way higher than that. Like, no, because there's no Tron on here. Tron, Tron is going to be a huge representative right, here, right? right? And it's not even do, on this chart. Do you guys want a a hint? No, no hints, no hints, no hints. If we don't get it in one minute. You're going to explain this to us. And at the end, you're going to yeah. educate the listeners on why this chart's interesting. Yeah, I like that. Because you picked it out. I'm going to guess that it's transaction fees. That, that was my first guess, and I know I'm wrong. Because there's no way that there's a fees. billion of transaction fees a day. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. Uh, total fees paid, maybe? Mm. I don't know. Um, maybe, mm, that does seem too high. Yeah, total... Um, is it maybe it's issuance? No, a billion issuance a day. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Could it be like high. native assets moved? Like the value of the native, uh, like the value of ETH, value of BNB, value of Polygon moved uh, per day? Bad investment decisions per day. Lock that in. I mean, that billion a day must be anchor then. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the peak. Uh, <laughs> no, your time is a bit off, Tarun. You got you to gotta look at the time series uh, down here. Sure, no hints. All right, one oh, hint. last guess is okay, one give hint. us a hint. Give us a, we're clearly way it's, off. It's, it's, a it's a, it, it is a TVL metric. A TVL metric. Yeah. Daily per chain. Bridge activity, maybe, per day. Bridging in? Asses bridge in per chain? Bridge in mm-hmm. and out? TVL metric. Uh, TVL metric. Maybe like borrows? Like daily borrows? Borrows and. No, it's, that borrows got to be less than that. Yeah. All right, I, I I formally concede and give up on this. Tarun, any last nope. last guess? Go for it. All right, what what do we got? Puzzle Master stumped us. This is us. this is this is again this is Hildabi. This is Tornado Cash TVL by chain. Oh, oh wow! Oh, so oh, oh. you see that big drop in August uh, when the sanctions hit? So we did come back to regulation a little bit. Sorry, and then. Uh, <laughs> These other chains so sort of popping off it obviously it's, it's highly correlated with the price of ether um but you kind of see you know it's like I think the, the daily per chain really threw us off the daily per chain really got yeah, true. Really true. Track. tvl and daily don't go together that was that exactly. is true yeah 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 i'm gonna give this feedback so, so actually one interesting question to me is where is the bnb bridge hack what do you remember when that was because like i'm curious if, <laughs> if you notice the bnb percentage is going up toward the last yeah I'm wondering if like the BNB bridge hacker is part of the reason for that. Well, the BNB part also does look pretty stable, actually. 
And so I think it was just like, that's when BNB launched because initially it was Ethereum only. It doesn't, it doesn't look like BNB grew or changed that much. It grew a little bit, I think, after July, ironically after the sanctions hit. But uh, overall, it's like it's, I think, around the same slice. That's natural though, right? Because like the BNB deployment was not sanctioned, but the Ethereum deployment was, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. So um, Ooh, true. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think about that. It's the only legal place where you can interact with Tornado Cash is on BNB chain. Legally, yeah, sure. It's not, it's not, not illegal. Or it's not not legal. Yeah. Okay. Understood. OFAC loves Binance. Yeah. yeah. I, I think they're trying to <laughs> advantage foreign actors. <laughs> so there we go. That was one. Uh, you guys want to do another one? Or was that, that too yeah, let's painful? Do, let's, do, let's do one more. I'm sure the All audio right. listeners are loving this, by the way. This is like a very audio-friendly format. There's going to be a lot of editing for this. Yeah, hide your private key, Tom. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a big there's a big hack going around. Or it's some, true. Uh, it's, yeah. big... Should we talk about it? Can we talk about the, the Ledger ad, the chain thing? Oh, yeah, where Ledger is telling you to buy a new jewelry necklace and hang your Ledger oh, yeah. wallet <laughs> around your neck. That Here might be go. the greatest guerrilla marketing ever. Okay. What are we looking at? This is a time series with a bunch of layer ones on them from January 2022 to April 2023. Yes, we have uh, Arbitrum, Starknet, Optimism, Loopring, Aztec Connect, Polygon, ZK EVM, ZK Sync Lite, ZK Sync Era. And then trend-wise, it's kind of neck and neck, Arbitrum and Optimism, you know, both hovering around this in in aggregate, uh, about 2K, um, each contributing about, you know, 1,000 kind of dips during the summer of 2022. And then going into 2023, uh, uh, start growing again, Arbitrum growing a little bit more, and uh, some of these other layer twos uh, contributing more to the pie, exceeding 3K in March and April 2023. All right, so this looks like a TVL of layer twos chart, except the units are off, right? The units go from zero to 3,000. That's correct. Maybe it's like TVL and Ether terms. It's like Ether TVL? Number- Number of number smart of, contracts deployed. Yeah. Uh, or daily users. No, the daily user is higher than this, right? So, yeah, there's at like least. Daily, that's too low for daily. Yeah. 3,000 is definitely a lot more than 3,000 daily. Also, for, there's a lot of activity in the most recent month on ZK Sync. Well, ZK Sync grew in TVL a lot, so they're well, like that's, 250 million That's now. also where all the uh, the like uh, people are air, trying to airdrop farm the most. Oh, speculative mm. airdrop Yeah, speculative farming. airdrop farming. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It looks very proportional to TVL. So there's something that is definitely correlated with TVL, but is very different units. Hmm. Active developers. GitHub Active, commits I, to? You can't track that on Dune. Okay. How are you tracking that on Dune? All yeah. right. All right. That's, that's a good <laughs> meta argument. Good meta argument. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, the only reason I'm not sure about whether this is total amount of ETH is that not all of these chains pay gas and ETH, if I remember correctly. Right now, it can't be uh, ETH. But they got to be moving I don't think They can be wrapping Wait, ETH. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, this is way keep, too, keep this pulling, too small. Keep pulling numbers. that thread. Keep pulling that thread. Keep pulling Ooh. that thread. Darun, pull the thread. Uh, this is like a chart murder mystery that's unfolding <laughs> for our audience in real time. I'm like, I'm like the yeah. dungeon master right now. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Roll a D20 I, tour and see what happens. Is it inflows? Maybe it's like monthly inflows because all these, I mean, Mm. I think that numbers have been going up basically pretty continuously, but no, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, maybe it does. September 22 is sort of like the bottom of this chart. All the Solana TVL clearly moved here, wherever, whatever this is. 
Because like, no, okay. So one K ether is like a million dollars. Like that is not, it's way too small. Right. So like, what is this one K thing? Is it bridge in events? Maybe? No, that's too small. I I kind I do kind of like this new contracts deployed or number of contracts interacted with or something. There's that, that like kind of could be in this range. Contracts deployed does make sense. Unique contracts, maybe unique or contracts touched contracts touched per day. Contracts. Yeah. You can, yeah, you can count. Mm. which contracts were touched and maybe this is bridge contract like i was gonna make a joke about where turin touched the contract but it's not funny <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm gonna go final answer unique contracts interact with per month my my guess is gonna be number of contracts deployed per month my joke guess because i sort of think it's one of the latter two is uh number of rug pulls per month that is correct turin it's number of rug pulls per month no it's a uh, cost of publishing <laughs> transaction data to a layer one oh, nice. by the what? layer twos per month. What? Yeah. Wait, wh- uh, what? I was thinking along those lines, but I was like, I don't know if they would actually be able to get that. Oh, for- the total price paid in aggregate yeah. of posting call data to layer one over that month. Correct. Mm. I see. I see. I see. Okay. So, oh, that's actually quite interesting. Are we saying Celestia is going to be making getting to a uh, three million run rate? <laughs> per month well no the, the yeah, price yeah, would be much lower right for the same amount of demand just to get the benchmark numbers right now because it's actually kind of interesting if you go back i think it's about a thousand on arbitrum arbitrum's paying about what two million dollars a month to post call data optimism posting right now it's 1800 so almost four mil oh okay wow. so closer to four mil per month optimism is about a thousand so that's about two mil and starknet starknet 93 eth so that's like what 100k or something or twenty k, deal. Fascinating. Um, what's ZK Sync? Yeah. Okay. Whatever. ZK Sync is at uh, five hundred. Yeah. Era. So Era is at five hundred. Okay. By, by the way, we should we should maybe explain what what those payments are for. Layer twos have some state management that they have to do on the layer one. The sequencer who's managing the state of the layer two has to post storage calls and other types of calls if there's a fraud proof, but there's not in any of these. And uh, so that's what Hazib was referring to as call data is sort of the data that they have to post. It's kind of interesting that ZK Sync had like such high state like cost growth relative to Polygon. A Polygon still has very low usage, I think. ZKVM, yeah. I think their EVL is like 30 million or something compared to ZK Sync's like 250 million. But I mean, everything, all of these are like super young still. Here's a trivia question for you. If all of these L2s are spending about 3,000 Ether a month on the L1 Ethereum, what do you think the total Ether spent in transactions on the L1 would be in the absence of all of these L2s? The, the question is, like, how much are they siphoning demand from the layer one? Yeah. I, I kind of believe in like the induced demand theory, where it's like a lot of the shit that's happening on layer twos is like goofy like NFT stuff for people that like would probably not happen you know, on, on Ethereum today at these gas prices. And so it's like you, you actually just capture this new market that would, would just would be priced out otherwise. It, it can't be that there's nothing siphoned, but there obviously is some, you know, new activity that is only, that only makes sense at a lower price point. Of course. It's funny, I was getting in an argument with Kalsamani about this over Telegram, which is always the best place to have arguments. He's a big layer two token bull short ETH. Yes, he was making this big argument that like the, the, the trade to do is to go go long the L2s and go short Ether. And he thinks like the L2s are going to siphon all this, but they're going to like suck up all the value because ultimately they're closer to the user and users are going to interact more with L2s. And 
basically like ETH, like the floor is just going to drop out from under it because uh, it's ultimately the L2s that are going to be valuable because they're directly user-facing and they own the applications. I thought this was kind of nonsense. And so my, my counterpoint to this, well, first of all, I'm curious, does, does that hold any valence for you guys, this idea that the layer twos are actually potentially going to accrue more value than the lower one? If like that's where the applications live, that's where all the users interact with? It's possible. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that his theory is automatically a good one, but if the applications are living on the L2s, and to Tom's point, you can have applications that couldn't exist on the L1s, then there'll probably be a lot of value accruing to the L2. But is it stealing value from the L1? Is it adding more usage and importance to the L1? I don't know. I mean, with the switch to you know full proof of stake, you could also argue the exact opposite, is that the L1 is the economic security for all of the L2s, and it will be significantly larger. Another thing to uh, consider here is the main layer ones themselves are actually quite worried about this. Uh, and there's been a bunch of designs of things where the the fees from the L2 flow back more to the L1. So there's a thing called a based roll-up from Justin Drake. And the idea is basically to have some revenue share between the L- L1 in ETH's case and the L2s um, and sort of like trying to force that. So it is interesting that pe- you know there there some of the ETH researchers are actually sort of in the Samani camp that the the L1 needs to get some revenue from, from the L2. I would say that if you believe that's true, right? If you believe the L2s are siphoning value from the layer one, then that means you should. It sort of implies that you should also believe that Lightning makes Bitcoin less valuable because Lightning is ultimately siphoning transaction fees from the layer one. It's got the same kind of substitute or uh, substitution effect, which makes Bitcoin less valuable. That would be true if Bitcoin had transaction fees. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> yes, but... It's supposed to, right? It does. And ultimately, like, Bitcoin is used to pay fees with. But you don't really use it for, like, data availability in a dynamically posted manner like you do with Ethereum, right? Like, Lightning transactions are like, I do a, you know, a, a time lock at one point and I close a time lock at another point. Everything stays off chain. It's not... There's not as much, like, dynamic state updating I mean, there's basically none. There's like two UTXs. Sure, but it is in the end siphoning demand for layer one transactions, right? Like otherwise you'd be directly transacting on Bitcoin if you couldn't use Lightning to settle Bitcoin. That hasn't been Bitcoin's problem for years, though. That is. I, I agree, I agree. Look, I, I'm not arguing that's Bitcoin's problem, but I am saying that if you are going to be consistent with that view that a substitution effect for demand for transactions lowers the value of the underlying layer one, then you should believe that Lightning drives down the value of Bitcoin. And that doesn't seem plausible to me. The other thing, of course, that on these layer twos, Ether in its sort of cash flow element, which is just, you know, how much Ether gets burned because of transaction fees on layer one. But then there's also the element of Ether as a form of money, which I would argue today is where the lion's share of its value comes from just because the transaction fees demonstrably are not that big. And on the L2s, like ETH is money on all the L2s. ETH is what everyone uses. People don't use wrap Bitcoin. They don't use, you know, ARB token on the layer twos as their form of money. They use Ether. And so if anything, these are Etherized economies that are actually expanding the universe through which Ether is used, right? In the same way, like, look, there are many ways to make the dollar valuable. One way is to grow the GDP of the U.S. economy. Another way is to increase the tax rate. Another way is to get other people to use dollars. Do you think ETH held on layer twos is like a euro dollar? It's sort of like... Yes, totally. That's a great analogy. That's a great analogy. (laughs) Yes, but only if the time and cost bridge is full of friction. If it's literally extremely low friction to move Ether in and out, 
then it's the same asset. I agree with the seems bigger point here, which is like, if you think about what factors go into Ether's value today, it's like 95, 99% this moneyness, and then like a small percentage sort of the transaction fees and the burn and, you know, a lot of the economics that go into it. And it's like, you know, crypto people always sort of fall for this. Oh, well, like this asset has these flows and like, let's do like a discounted cash flow analysis. And it's like, maybe that's true for a very small number of assets, but for the most part, it's it's sort of this other thing. I mean, one question, and I, I was talking about this with a bunch of people working on who believe in the like, there will be 5 million rollups world. How does the user end up managing the UX for this? Like I, none of the wallets that exist can really handle multi rollups right now at all. Like it's so clunky, right? You're like going in, changing RPCs. Some of them make you pay gas and native tokens. Some make you pay in ETH. Some, you know, like that part is still very confusing to me. And that's where I kind of can agree with the Solana maxis of like the UX is much easier in monolithic for the wallet. Yeah. This is not a dunk on Cosmos, but I personally find the Cosmos ecosystem UX with multiple different chains to be like literally impossible as a user. I think to Tarun's point, if you have, you know, a thousand L2s, it's going to be the same user experience where it's like, yes, it's possible to move between any two of them and like all of these things. But, you know what wallet software is going to make this easy and intuitive? And like, how are you going to do it? Like, it's already hard. Like my network drop down, you know, just on the EVM chains and MetaMask is like too long. And if you think about it, there's like, you know, in, in Ventureland, there've been sort of tens of companies founded for doing rollup as a service so that developers can start their own rollup like the way they start an Amazon web service. Great. You can make your own blockchain easily. But then it's like no one is, is really funding like wallets focused on, or like even just like some layer for, for making it easy for the end user. So I think that's going to be a big thing now. Part of the, the next, re- I, like- so I, I totally agree with you, Tarun. We actually, we funded a company recently called Caldera that does exactly this, does like layer two as a service. The difficulty, like you said, is that getting a bunch of layer twos up and running, now it's kind of doable. We have the open source stack. Obviously, Optimism is today the kind of hot stack du jour that people are using. But actually managing assets across a kajillion chains like super sucks and of course there you know we just had uh, tax day in the u.s very recently and obviously like if you're trying to pay taxes across assets in like 16 different ecosystems it's it's a horrendous task much less just being able to manage your own assets across all of them and so i do think that that at some point when the landscape settles down and the number of stacks settles down there are definitely going to be software solutions that pop up that start to get smarter about managing your assets, what you pay gas with, metatransactions across different chains, like consolidating assets for you, and also helping it making it easier to do accounting across all your different chains. That stuff will come up as the, the kind of space of chains stabilizes or the number of stacks stabilizes. Uh, but right now, there's still like super high flux. And so anybody who's like, I, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to build for. Um, I think people still don't know. Like, it's still very much a moving target. A lot of people were like, okay, well, Solana's winning. I better build a bunch of tools for Solana. Uh, or other people were like, oh, well, you know, Cosmos seems to be taking over the world. I should build for Cosmos chains. And now rollups are the thing. It's like, okay, should I build this tooling for rollups? Um, I think if you give it a couple of years, we're going to see some stabilization in the chains that people use and like less turnover in the top 10 chains by TVL. But over the last couple of years, it's been so volatile. Like, I don't know how you would know what to work on. My, my suspicion is that there will be a lot of venture funding going into the moving up the stack. Like, you know, there's been so much money focused on infrastructure in the last 12 months. And like, people are going to be like, oh, shit, we actually need to really fund like 
the basic, you know, new wallets and stuff like that instead of because like it doesn't feel like the existing wallets are willing to change their experience enough to handle this type of world. Part of it is fear too, right? Like the, the deeper you get into the guts of making decisions on behalf of users, the more risk there is for mistakes, for hacks. There's just more surface area to like mess things up. I mean, there was all this news this week about like really crazy hacks that nobody seems to know where they're coming from. Uh, Taylor Monahan, who was on the show recently, was talking about this like crazy web of old addresses that don't seem to have any ostensible connections to each other, many of which were super sophisticated, quote unquote, cold wallet, quote unquote, addresses that have been just getting sweeped by the same attacker. So I've, I've been getting more paranoid over the last, just like last month, I guess. I don't know if you guys are feeling similarly, but more and more I just get paranoid about like, uh, I don't know, attackers are getting better and smarter and more sophisticated than, uh, than before. Well, they absolutely are. I mean, you know, the underlying technology of security is not improving, but there's more sophistication outside that is improving. We were joking around about, you know, Ledger putting a really stupid ad on Twitter of like, buy the necklace keychain for your like crypto hardware wallet. And that's like, you know, obviously like security moving backwards, but like security in my mind is moving flat and there's more sophistication around how to break security every single month. And I think a lot of it falls, you know, like is rooted in human error in a lot of places. And I think a lot of it's in like, you know, exposing zero days, so to speak. But you know, I, I definitely think that over time, security is not fundamentally improving, and there's not enough work spent on fundamentally improving the security architecture of crypto. I also think that large language models are going to be really good at attacking contracts, and they're going to be like I think the advantage, the natural advantage to attack versus defense is going to grow with large language models because I think it's a lot easier for a large language model to find a vulnerability than it is for a large language model to fix a vulnerability. Finally, the Cardano stands can win. Wait, what? Why? Formally verified. Oh, 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 I see. I see. Peer reviewed, formally verified. <laughs> okay. Got it. Well, that's Cardano itself, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the programming language that no one could use and at one point only had one transaction per block because the EUTXO thing was messed up. Um, but yes, Cardano. Okay. Okay. Cardano. Uh, these, these charts seem to have brought out the animal spirits. Uh, so what's the next they are, one? They're doing a good no, job of waking us up. I didn't know you guys wanted another chart. All right. Chart me, number three. It. It's, a yeah. good, it's kind of like one of those uh, Rorschach tests where like, you look at a chart and it like, brings up all the stuff inside you. That is true. That is true. Yeah, I like it. I feel like this is a good um, psychological test for how you feel about crypto. Yeah, it's the least fun party game that you can try at home. <laughs> I, you, you, you have no idea what Tarun's parties are like. We, did we need a disclaimer for the listeners to, to, to <laughs> trigger warning? We're going to be playing the worst party game, but we're saving you from playing it. Do not attempt on your own. <laughs> I, I actually would be super down for this party game if it was actually like a party game. I mean, we're like four crypto venture investors. Like we're like, I think some of the only people that find this amusing. <laughs> I, think, I think I got a new one. Yeah. Actually, this one, I don't even have the labels on it. Are you going to be okay with that? Is that going to be too hard? Otherwise, I think it's too obvious. Hard mode. Let's no. go. Let's go. No labels. I'm, I'm feeling risky tonight. I, I I will say one thing. My first my first boss ever, very nice guy, this billionaire. The one thing he would fire people for on the spot was no units on their labels. <laughs> That's legit. 
like if you, if you, time if you, series no units fired on the spot i'm okay with that <laughs> so if it just said like 100 200 300 he was like you're fired leave yeah all right so is tom fired this really is a party game wow i mean no there are well there are units on the on the x-axis yeah all right let's describe the chart so the listeners can understand what we're looking at because we all just said like whoa so the chart <laughs> Starts in January 2009. So my hunch. So this is called a whale fin chart. I believe that's what this is called. Or shark fin. Sorry, shark fin. Shark fin chart. My hunch is that we're thinking something in the Bitcoin ecosystem because the chart starts in 2009. And I don't think we would go all the way back if we weren't. Very astute observation. Very astute observation, okay. Robert. Mm. So it looks like there's like no activity for 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013. There's basically no activity on this until. 2019 and then it starts to go way up it peaks in like november 21 december 21 and then it goes back down to about half of its peak and it looks truly like a shark fan it's very symmetrical it almost looks like a normal distribution and there's also four colors but we don't have the legend so we don't know what those four colors correspond to but it's mostly one color it's like 90 percent one color yeah okay we were talking about lightning before my hunch is that this is a chart that has something to do with lightning or like a Bitcoin type of transaction. Number of lightning nodes by client. It could be, yeah, it could be based on client. It could be like 300,000 lightning nodes. It maxes at 300,000. That's too many. It could be a segwit thing. Well, the segwit was uh, 2017. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, like I'm just throwing ideas out. No, but actually, I remember Binance only supported segwit deposits and withdrawals in like 2020. I remember there are a lot of people on Twitter, Bitcoin Maxis, complaining and yelling at CZ about this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but the chart looks like zero. It doesn't even look like... It does. The chart looks like zero until like 2000. How about number of channels? Instead of number of nodes. I can see channels. I think channels make but, sense. But chi- channel by client? Like, that's what I'm trying to figure out. That's- or maybe by, like, capacity of the channel. And, like, gray is, like, 0 to 100 or something. And then... 300k BTC is, like, 1.5 billion? No, 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 no. I'm saying that it's the number of channels, but the yeah. colors are the capacity of the channel. They're, like, class sizes, oh. right? So, like, small, medium, big... Has lightning capacity ever been over a billion? Because 300K BTC is a lot. No, no, no. I'm saying no, the, the units are not way BTC. Far. The units are number of channels. Oh, the number colors, of channels. The colors are corresponding to the size of the I don't of the think channels. there's that many channels. That's a lot. I don't think there's that many channels either. Because like, yeah. aren't most of the channels like bit refill and like nothing else? That's what I remember. Yeah, I mean, it goes up to 300,000, whatever the... Also, like, what's this green thing that is like was like eating up demand through 2021 and then shrunk? Indeed, I feel like this. The, gr- the, the green thing is kind of weird. Is going way down right now. Okay, Tom, you want right, to? Tom, walk can you give, give us a hint. Can you give us a hint. You, you are correct. It is something related to the Bitcoin ecosystem or related related to Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah, oh, right, what about but, wrapped wrapped Bitcoin wrapped BTC type wrapped thing? BTC. Ooh, ooh, that's an interesting guess. I don't think there's 300,000. There might be 300,000. No, there were more. Yeah, a wrap BTC could have could have could have been it might have been more but like maybe Ren? Ren BTC? No, they they never got that high. 300,000 bitcoin is a lot of bitcoin. So Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, uh, Tom next hint. 
I don't think I can give another hint because that would, <laughs> I feel like that was a pretty big hint. I'm tapped. What, what, what is it? Yeah, what's the answer? Boom. It is. BTC oh, Bitcoin yeah, on yes, Ethereum. Right, yes. We were right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So WBTC plus RenBTC plus everything. Okay, so it's like wrapped Bitcoin plus or like HBTC. Do not forget HBTC. Also, the uh, the WBTC numbers off ETH are sort of messed up post FTX, right? Because they minted a bunch of stuff that wasn't collateralized. No, that was uh, solid stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's was not... solid. But the the weird thing is the solid and WBTC pools were sort of like drained to zero also. <laughs> it got it got a little dicey on oh, interesting. right around the good chart. Good chart. That BTC one was good. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, that's solid. I, I was also about to be like like did Dune index lightning? No way. Yeah, actually now that you say that, I'm like, it doesn't seem like that would be an easy thing for Dune to index. I, yeah, I don't think they have lightning, but they do have just general Bitcoin data now. So okay. if you want to look at ordinal stuff. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. There, there were ordinals. Well, I'm actually most interested in the fact that that chart has basically halved in like the past year or so. There's a lot of BTC that was on Ethereum that is no longer on Ethereum, which is probably the most interesting takeaway. Yeah, where, yeah. where did that BTC go? Just back to Bitcoin? Uh, FTX, for sure. Alameda, SBF. I don't think it's half of the outstanding Bitcoin. That was a joke. Alameda. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it peaked in April 2022 or, or May 2022. Oh. And hmm. then it was HBTC is basically nothing now. And then WBTC uh, also fell quite a bit. It must be tied to lenders in some way. Yeah. Like a lot of the lenders probably had to, like a lot of the lenders were using this stuff to get yield on Bitcoin. Well, yeah, exactly. They were farming farming on your behalf exactly, yeah exactly you could probably go check too right because the wbtc redemptions are on chain you can just see who's, oh, who's redeeming true. it that very probably true. was celsius and ftx and genesis BlockFi, all those guys who are finding ways to get yield with their btc the dinosaur graveyard of indeed indeed yeah that's very sad how, how do you do you, any of you guys know like how's is lending making a comeback are people like putting their boots on again and facing the world or is lending just like kind of dead centralized lending centralized lending. Yeah. Yeah. That dead, 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 dead. DeFi lending is going up a little bit because of stake teeth. Yeah. Interesting. I would think that like, okay, there's like an extinction level event. There's no more yield anywhere. Like now it feels like a time that like somebody should come in and start cleaning up and like just offering like fairly low rates, pocketing big spreads, you know, like just the lack of competition seems like it'd be a great time for somebody to come into the, the lending space. Why isn't that happening? And also like, okay, yeah, the risk-free rate on dollars is high, but like the rate on crypto assets is, is low. So like, well, it shouldn't be I, I guess one of the, the things that would make it hard for a centralized lender is the fact that like right now, borrowing costs in DeFi are like hilariously low. It's cheaper to borrow in DeFi than it is any, like right. borrowing costs in yeah. DeFi are below the Fed funds rate. Like it's it literally violates a lot of the laws of like financial physics. Yeah, I, I I think you basically need need rates to go down a bit. I've actually been thinking about this recently, Robert. I, you know, to, to your point, um, there are hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in USDC sitting in Ave and Compound earning one and a half percent. Are these people who are using these as, as collateral? Are these people USDC that's stuck? Like, why is this here? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, there is so many stable coins earning so little in DeFi. I think the reason it's there is because it's better 
then bridging it back to TradFi to get 4.7% or 4.1% on your Apple account um, or whatever, you know, is in the headlines lately, because it takes days to go back and forth typically. And people want to have their stable coins available to buy the dip or like invest in crypto. Like they don't actually want to leave the crypto asset purchasing ecosystem uh, because crypto is still so volatile that if you can buy crypto, you know, and sell it for 1% higher, that's more money than you're expecting to make off of rates anyway. And like you have all these people like buying and selling crypto and just having it so readily available to take advantage of like, you know, I mean, today Ether dropped 6%. Right? That's more than a year of interest, you know, for someone who was in stables and was able to buy it and is looking to sell it higher. Like, just in terms of that, like human market making, you know, the expected returns are probably higher than the difficulty mm. of like moving into tradfi, missing an opportunity, you know, whatever. Like, if you have stables, it's because you like crypto, <laughs> you like crypto assets, you like to be able to trade in them and participate in them and all of these things, and it's like it still is super high friction to move it back to TradFi and back to crypto. And so there's a glut of stable coins in crypto that earn way, way less than the risk-free rate. And I think people are mostly okay with that, where they're, they're saying, hey, I'll just earn 1% or 2% because I know I can just turn it into Ether and Bitcoin, you know, in a second's notice, you know, in one, in one block if I need to. Mm. And that's like extremely valuable. And the reason why they're not bringing it out of crypto. One funny thing, right, is like we're pretty close to the all-time high, actually, of total stable coins, right? Yeah, it's like 118 billion right now, I think. Yeah, 130, 131, according to, to DeFi Llama. Pull up the DeFi Llama chart, Tom. Yeah, I'm, this I'm one, you, the DeFi Llama stable coin chart, it's actually kind of... I mean, you can just see Tether completely crushing it, like... That that that's the number one thing here. You just see like Tether and USDC going in like complete opposite directions at the end, yeah. Because like it's crazy. Tether's near its all time high. It's it's like not very far from its all time. It's only a couple of billion dollars away. Yeah, and mm. USDC is quite far from its all time high. It's about half of its all time high. The the I mean the other interesting thing is that there seems to be a pretty perfect substitution effect. Is that like the um you know, the pie seems to be fixed of demand for stable coins, or at least at any given moment in time. And so when one's going up, the other's going down. It doesn't ever seem like they're that correlated, except when the whole market's going up. Yeah. Mouse over April 22, one year ago. What was the total mm-hmm. stable coins a year ago? Because there's 131 now. Let's add these up in our head real quick. It's like 160. 175, yeah. Yeah, 175. Yeah. So it, it's 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 not down that much in in compared to say like BTC and ETH being down fifty percent. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have to do math anymore. Look at that. <laughs> oh wow, we were off. <laughs> okay. It's two hundred billion. So it's down about what, like No no market cap, market cap, not TBL, yeah. Oh, 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 oh market cap, sorry. Because like did they include UST? That's like that's sort of one of the weird parts of the data. Oh yeah, territory. But do we count UST? I'm guessing they did. Yeah, I just don't know whether because I just you, don't know if whether you go we go back to the non-aggregated. It. It'll show. It does show USTC, which is UST Classic, which is I guess the successor. At, at yeah, yeah. Look, it's 15, sixteen bill right there. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. dramatic, dramatic. Okay. okay. All oh. right. So if you ignore that sixteen billion, it's still down. April twenty two. 
April. Uh, April, April was 187. And then uh, now we're at 131. So, you know, it's down 20 mil, 20 bill, something like that. Yeah. Minus. But that's uh, still not crazy, right? Like it, yeah, it was no, down a lot more. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like it's not so, so crazy. Yeah. Actually, though. it looks like right when Terra Collapse was the all time high for stablecoin and market cap, the total circulating supply. And, and since then, it's been like pretty stable. After, I mean, it's gone down. It's like kind of trickled down. It's like another down every month. 20 million. Yeah. But very slightly. Yeah. But not, not a very significant drawdown. I was just looking this up. You were, you were talking, Robbie, you were talking about like the, the, the risk-free rate and like the ability to instantaneously transfer stable coins in and out. I was just looking at what are the rates that big banks are paying on cash deposits as kind of the analogy of like, okay, you can instantly turn, you know, you get the optionality. Uh, Chase is paying... 0.02% APY on cash right now. So actually, like if you if you consider stablecoins to be cash, then actually they're getting higher yield than a bank account still. That's now, true. Chase might be unique. Anyone with access to a brokerage account can get higher yield. Yeah, yeah. which right. is why right now it's, commercial bank deposits are kind of flying out. Yeah. And it's why the profitability of the biggest banks like JPM should be going up, unfortunately. Yes. yes. So it's, according to FDIC, the average... APY across banks nationally is about 30 bips. That's so pathetic. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it turns out USDC is actually pretty good for being like, yeah. a, you know, instantaneous cash account. What, when do you think we'll be talking about tokenized treasuries over tokenized stable coins or like something that's like close to off chain yield? I mean, I think over the next two years, some incredible things are going to come to market that change how we think about tokenized dollars versus tokenized yield, right? I think it just needs to like find a clear regulatory framework. I think the issue with real world assets, broadly speaking, this is like super kind of thousand foot view, is that when we started, like, I mean, I remember when I first got into crypto, people used to talk about real world assets all the time. And... And that was like 2017, 2018, right? It was a big narrative. And that's six years ago now, geez. At that time, like, I remember when people were tokenizing like apartment complexes and they were putting them on the blockchain and being like, why, why are, why isn't anyone buying my like Miami apartment complex? And <laughs> the reality is like, people like found these like very random things that were totally illiquid and very hard to value and a lot of local knowledge and were annoyed that like, okay, I brought this thing on chain. I did all the legal work. And like, why isn't it magically liquid now? So I think people had this mental model that like blockchains magically make things liquid, which is obviously bullshit. Like that's not, you know, there's nothing magic about tokenization that makes illiquid things liquid. And I think as a result, like the order of operations through which blockchains approach real world assets was kind of inverted. We started with the most illiquid, hard to value things that very few people want to own, like a specific piece of real estate in a specific apartment complex or whatever, as opposed to like treasuries, right? Treasuries are the biggest market in the world or the biggest asset in the world huge amounts of demand. Nobody is, has trouble underwriting treasuries, but they haven't existed on the blockchain basically at all for the last like five years. Now, a big part of the reason for that was that yields for on treasuries were terrible, right? They were basically 25 basis points for the longest time. And when on-chain yields were dramatic, who cares? Why would you want to bring treasuries on chain? Now it feels like that's reversing, right? There's now clearly more demand for treasuries on chain. There are a few projects that are doing it. And there's, 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 there's a lot of, you're seeing a lot of on-chain growth in the demand for treasuries. But the, the more importantly, I think it's like it shows that we're now thinking in the right order of operations about what kinds of real world assets you need to build on chain and in what sequence they should be tokenized as opposed to starting with 
a PE fund or, you know, some random piece of real estate or some other random thing that nobody else wants and nobody else knows even what it is, starting with the biggest and most liquid assets and bring them on chain and, and following that sequence of optionality such that, you know, eventually the marginal investor who's living in some random country around the world, uh, it's like, oh, okay, I, great, treasuries. I know what that is. I, I can see why I'd want that as part of my portfolio. And then I might want this other thing and this other thing and this other thing. And you get this, um, you get this menu forming in a, in a sensible way that builds up this impression of like, hey, I can go on chain and I can buy the kinds of assets that I understand and care about as part of a sound financial portfolio, as opposed to I go on chain and I can find dollars and then really random stuff that like some random entrepreneur decided they wanted to tokenize. And then basically, you know, the crypto casino. And in between we have NFTs, which I think are a really fun approximation of assets that are semi-liquid on chain. Yeah. Well, we'll soon have the world coin orb identities. When are they coming on chain? I think they are they are on their own L2 right now, right? But is yeah. it POA? I think it's POA though. I think the goal is for they'll be posted. They'll be Wait, they're on an L2 that's POA. Then how's it an L2? Well, there it, it's there's a plan to convert it. Okay. It's, it's <laughs> I see. Like, yeah. I see. You know what's funny? Like we haven't used the t- the phrase POA in like years. Like I feel like it was like a phrase from like 2017. But in a lot of ways like a lot of the L2s are kind of POA. Just we don't use that phrase anymore. I think the, the term L2 is a little bit aspirational at this point, right? It's like L2 kind of means like we have the goal of no longer being a multi-sig at some point. <laughs> but like basically pretty much all of these L2s, deep down somewhere, there's a multi-sig and the multi-sig basically, if they wanted to, they could control it. Whether it's like controlling uh, the fraud proofs and like the fraud proofs are whitelisted or you know, the code can be upgraded or there are no fraud proofs and the crazy optimism stack or, you know, the ZK rollups are all obviously super experimental. So there's everything is super protected. The reality is like today, L2 is more like the destination as opposed to a description of the present. Well, I, I agree, but that's because I think it's technically extremely challenging to decentralize them fully safely, right? For all the different reasons. For sure. Yes. Right. I think it's correct that they're this way. I don't think they should skip a step. If we go back to our first chart, I mean, the question really is like, is that amount of revenue that has to be spent going to worth decentralizing, right? Like, well, there, there's some missed, sense in like, yeah. You missed the second chart, which was the profit, um, the delta between the fees that they're charging people and what they're you know, paying to settle. And so, you know, some of them are making what, like a thousand ETH per month um, on the spread. So, like, that is pretty attractive. Um, but, you know, it's also like going back to the POA thing. It's like, you know, it's there are levels to security. I, I think this stuff is all obviously better than like, you know, any sort of, you know, POA network. And it's you know, really what you're what you're risking is the difference between from the, you know, the last the last proof that was posted on chain. So it's like, you know, OK, sure, it's not ideal, but like you know, we're getting there. It's, it's, it's iterative. By the way, for those who don't know, POA means proof of authority, which basically means a multi-sig more or less. Yeah, it means you have the keys. But but I will say there there have been some successful chains that have transitioned from POA to their own chains, like Gnosis Chain, which started as XDI, which was POA, but now now you can run a Gnosis Chain validator. So Yeah. I, I've been wanting to write a blog post about this and I've been caught up with a bunch of stuff, but I'm gonna write it eventually. But I want to get your guys' take on this in real time as I think through this thesis. So I feel like over the last six months, so we've been, you know, so we invested into ZK Sync, we've been, you know, big bulls of of layer twos generally 
But I feel like lately the conversation has become, and I see this more and more, especially among like the kind of crypto intelligentsia, that like layer ones are basically irrelevant now because, or alt L ones, alt L ones are basically irrelevant now because we have the rollups, the promised land is here. We can finally get off this like intermediate step or like this ship that we were using to, to get onto the, the, the beautiful, you know, uh, uh, promised land of rollups. And I guess my thesis is something on the lines of like, the alt L ones are still really important and they're not going to go away. And I think they actually still have some structural advantages over L2s. So before I go into like why I think that, I'm curious just to get your gut level reaction or do you think, especially the EVM-based alt L ones, do you think they're like basically done once the layer twos are like fully feature complete? Well, I actually think the alt L ones are long-term more useful and more valuable than the L2s potentially because- Okay, interesting, why? And maybe I'm tripping and like we didn't talk about this on like, the last episode or like, I'm just imagining this, or maybe we did talk about this in the last episode, or maybe this was a conversation I just had with some crypto people like on the streets of Brooklyn or something, but all the L2s are just EVM chains. And when it comes to being an application developer, even if there's a hundred L2s, they're not really offering you any new capabilities that you don't already have for launching an application. And I give kudos to the alt L1s that are actually like, providing different capabilities to application writers, mostly through choice of language or tech specs or whatever. But like Solana legitimately offers something different than Ethereum. Avalanche offers something different than Ethereum. You know, Polkadot offers something different than Ethereum. All the L2s offer basically the same thing. And every L2 offers basically the same thing as every other L2. Even if you have 400 of them, it doesn't really fundamentally change the toolkit available to application developers. And at the end of the day, the whole point of all of these platforms is to enable applications to be built on top of them. And so I think all the different alt L1s are more useful in that they offer different like tools to developers that L2s don't. And so I don't think having a hundred different EVM chains is the promised land. Like a hundred different EVM chains in my mind is almost exactly the same or as equally as good as having like one EVM chain. I think it's a lot of wasted effort and a lot of wasted resources as a society. And I think there's so much more value that comes from totally different approaches that get tried than having yet another L2, which I think adds fundamentally nothing. So I would say that another interesting fact is that, you know, uh, a little bit like Ethereum last bear market, where the Bitcoin maxis were constantly hounding uh, them, but the developers were like dug their toes in, like, fuck you, we're still going to keep building things here. I feel like Solana does have that and no other L1 does have that, where there's this community of people who are like, they're just, they're, 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 they're like almost like a cult in belief, uh, on the developer side, because like we believe in Cosmos these particular attributes, Cosmos has that. But everyone in Cosmos likes to cut each other. Uh, you know, like it's a knife fight constantly. A, <laughs> B. Anytime someone is like, "Hey, how do I make something easier for a user?" Oh, guess what? Make another Cosmos chain and add another token. It's like it's like the equivalent of that. Um, you know, the XKCD, the comic on the standards yeah. and technology, like. Hey, we mm. have 15 standards. I'm going to make one that rules them all. Okay, now we have 16 standards. 
And like Cosmos has that problem like inherently in a, in a way that I think is difficult. Uh, I, I mean, people are definitely working on trying to homogenize things, but I think, you know, sovereignty comes at a cost. Solana is actually weirdly, the developer community is so adamant there in, in like a way that reminds me of Ethereum developers at the bottom of the last bear market. Which is good. Yeah, I think that's honestly true for any chain. Like you're talking about like legit chains, or like legit communities and legit, le- legit developers, but like go down CoinGecko and choose any random like 2017 era L1. And like, dude, there will be people in the Discord, in the Telegram, on the Reddit hyped about the chain for some particular reason. And it's sort of like a you know religious in, in some way. And like, it's not just number go up. People talk about like applications and like there are random devs. People just get like married to like a particular like chain ideology in the same way like I just think they don't with like a you know L two maybe on a tangent from this topic, but something I was I was been thinking about is like it seems like to your point around these layer twos as a service or like stuff like base uh, popping up, I, they kind of get co promoted or like heralded by sort of like the chain like optimism, but these feel very cannibalistic, right? Like now optimism has to and or, or any layer two basically has to make an argument as to why they you know, why you need to sort of co-locate on their chain with the other apps versus like running your own, you know, fork of it. And that seems like a, a a harder case to make over time. We're building on base for that matter, right? Isn't base like sure. directly cannibalistic from optimism? I mean, they're, it's, it's yes. quite zero sum, right? Like they're the same damn stack, but one of them has Coinbase distribution and one of them has like OP token. Yes, I'd be pissed if I was optimism. I don't think they're yeah. not. They definitely are not. <laughs> yeah, they're clearly <laughs> celebrating this. I mean, I think it's not obvious. And the other thing too, like I think in a lot of these cases, the token, at least in the short term, it's kind of a meme token, right? Like obviously the fees for these layer twos, I mean, except for like the, like you said, the sort of the spread between the fees on chain and the, the, the call data they have to actually post. It's reasonable, what, like 20 million a year run rate or something like that. It's like not a crazy amount of money, but it's like, not nothing, um, but it's obviously not worth like 10 billion FTV. So take Adam, for example, right? Like Adam, obviously there is de minimis value going through the cosmos hub, which is what the Adam token actually Adam is, is claim Dogecoin on. for nerds. Yes. It, it, it has is, no it is utility token for the other cosmos than stroking Jaquan's ego, other than Jaquan stroking sure. his ego with it. There's no really nothing else. Just for, for a lot of these things, it is just the model, right? So I think like for OP token, I don't know that there was a rational reason why, like when base launched, OP token should go up when base and the optimism, you know, whatever it's called, like the optimism canonical distro, I don't know what your chain, whatever, whatever you'd call it. Like clearly these are in competition with each other and they use the same stack and you're going to deploy on one, you're going to deploy on the other. Base did say, well, we're going to give some of the fees to the optimism collective or whatever, but then they walked back how many fees they're going to give. And like, obviously they're not going to give the majority of the fees because it's their chain and they can change it at any time they want. It's up to them unless there's some contract, which would be kind of weird. So end of the day, and obviously they could always change, right? Like if there's going to be an alternative layer two stack that is open source and is totally license free and they're like, oh, Optimism wants to extract more rent from you. Coinbase can be like, okay, well, never mind. Optimism will like switch and do some regenesis or something. It will create a transition plan to go to something else where somebody else gets the fees. So I, I, I just don't know. In the short term, I think nobody cares. In the short term, it's all meme warfare. And maybe appropriately so. Maybe it's right for them to think about it as meme warfare. But um, I, I don't think the market's thinking about it this way because clearly when base launched, that was like super, that's considered to be super bullish for optimism, despite the fact that now, okay, there's a third competitor on the layer two space. Well, I don't think the market thinks that much in general. 
in crypto. Like, I don't think we have these like extremely rational markets where, you know, there's fundamental analysis done on all the different. Arguably, base not launching with a token, though, is very positive for OP in the sense of securities stuff. Well, no, I mean, it's going to be, you know, Coinbase runs a sequencer and the revenue goes to Coinbase Inc. Like, I don't think that's complicated. Well, I think I think Trevor's point is also a good one, is that the demand for investing into Layer 2s, there's only really today two tokens you can invest in, Arbitrum and Optimism. And if Base had a token, there would be a third. And I think that's a simple enough analysis to be correct, that that was good for Optimism, that Base did not launch a token. It's just buying BNB in, in late 2020. <laughs> OP is the proxy, for better or worse. It's It's... It's a 30 IQ move, but you know, I I am agreeing with the the thesis that Hasib was. I I, I don't really have a strong view on that thesis, but I will say I think that's the logic people's, you know, the left curve logic is literally what I just. Right. Yeah. Well, there's no token, so they'll use OP, but like. So I obviously. None of us are traders, as far as I know. Or, <laughs> Robert, you consider yourself a trader? I feel like you're the most active no. in markets of any of us. No, okay, I'm, I am not active at all. <laughs> I, okay. I am not okay. a trader. Okay, so none of us are traders. So we're, to be clear, we're all totally incompetent at making these kinds of evaluations. But yeah, nothing here is investment advice because we all suck. Obviously, nothing investment advice because we're all terrible at investing in like short term trades. But I will say, the, the the longer I've been in crypto, the more that I've learned that the obvious thing is usually right. That's just like the, the number one piece of advice that I give to everybody in crypto. Yeah. Ape tokens trading at 4 billion FTV. You know, it's a. Uh, hey, they're going to ship a metaverse. Ape is necessary to power the ecosystem. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be bullish if they, if they launched an optimism fork. Yeah, well, Ape is essential for the yeah, future. When is of Ape going to launch their own layer two? Okay, I think we've, we've technically hit an hour. Um, this was a very experimental show. It's also very late at night, so I hope you're feeling the, the late night chill vibes. Let's go ahead and sign off. I think next week we'll do something a little more sensible than this, but I hope that uh, this was coming at you with a slightly different flavor of the chopping block. To be clear, this is what we used to do. Back when we were doing the, like, uh, before the chopping block was a thing, we used to do Twitter spaces. That was like the Robot Ventures, Dragonfly, like, what was it, like happy hours? Like Friday happy hours? And we would just like talk about random stuff. And this was the vibe. Yeah, we have then. a beer and just, you know. Exactly. And then now we've gotten so professionalized and we have an agenda and we like talk about the news. We thought we were going to talk about Gary Gensler. And we Gary didn't. Gensler, see, we're always mixing up here at the chopping block. That's what the show's all about, keeping you guessing. Okay. That's it. Tarun, I hope your food has gotten here. I hope it's not too cold. What did you order, by the way? I think it was turkey burger. Turkey burger that's very healthy. Sure. We're not editing this out. <laughs> sure. We're gonna like keep in to room guests. Yeah. That's what burger. you would say. If you, you know, ordered I, like two pizzas, you'd be like, oh, I got a turkey burger. Look, Zuko look, Zuko's not listening, you know. Okay. Do you remember how Zuko okay. was like a big meditarian and uh he still is, was like think, always protein eating He's a carnivore, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I feel like turkey burger is like a a cheap you know, something people don't 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 respect as much. Tarun, you know that is a very feminized meal. Is a turkey burger. I can't believe you would. See, you I don't respect it. I love it. You're, you're showing hate. <laughs> All, right. All right. Signing off. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.